Good evening. My name is uh, Terry Zelani. This is Tuesday Takeover Program. I'm delighted to be your host for tonight. I must confess, uh, as indicated earlier on, um, I'm a little bit nervous because I've never really been part of, I've, I've never been on the side of uh, the mic. Uh, most of the time uh, I get interviewed, but now I have a responsibility uh, to interview someone. Uh, but uh, my uh, fellow uh, 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 host, Songe, uh, so indicated to me earlier on that I'll be fine. And my son, Nkululeko, also spoke to me earlier, and he told me that uh, I will be fine. I must just take this as, uh, you know, hosting people at the prize. So I'm going to take it easy with all of you and pretend that uh, I'm hosting my friends uh, at the prize. My guest tonight uh, is Peter Harris, a renowned human rights lawyer, uh, born in Durban, uh, uh, in an environment of privilege and decided to forgo all those privileges uh, to basically identify uh, with the poor, uh, with those in the margin of history, with those who were oppressed. Uh, he was part of an organization that represented uh, those who were arrested and harassed by the apartheid system, uh, the unionists, the activists, and perhaps uh, the most famous uh, group that he represented is uh, popularly referred to as uh, the Delmas Four. And uh, I would like to find out from him. Uh, I hope he is online just to check from him. Why would a person who had so much going on for him uh, decided uh, to live his life of privilege and basically to identify with the poor, uh, the, the activists who were harassed by the establishment. He could have been a very rich person by perhaps focusing on commercial law and representing uh, big companies. But he decided he was going to identify with the activists, uh, those who were really in the margin of history and apartheid. And I don't understand why any person would actually move from a position of privilege to basically identify with those. Uh, Peter, are you there? Uh, yes, I am, Terry. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Peter, can you just tell us why uh, a young man uh, who had so much privilege under apartheid uh, would decide to forgo all his privileges and uh, identify with the poor, uh, the activist, and then those who were regarded as the terrorists by the apartheid government. Um, you know, Terry, um, let me just say that uh, I think there were so many people who made so many sacrifices, and I think that uh, anything that I did was was quite um, was quite small compared to the majority of South Africans who sacrificed so much, um, and many lost their lives and. Uh, um, and their liberty. So I, I think that any role that I played, firstly, as you say, was was fairly minor. Um, but I don't think it takes uh, a rocket scientist or anyone of any 
great uh, intellect to to realize that the system of apartheid and that on which it was founded um, of discrimination against people essentially because of the color of their skin um, was a totally unjust and immoral system. And it wasn't just that. I think the degradation of so many black South Africans um, was 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 clear. You know, it 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 was in, right in front of you. It wasn't something that you could look away from or avert your eyes. Um, it was very apparent. So I think it was a common sense decision, um, frankly, um, for many people who um, looked at their society around them and made choices. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't so much a choice; it was more a compulsion that uh, that things were profoundly wrong in society in South Africa at that time, and and still is uh, in, in in many ways in terms of issues of inequality and poverty and unemployment and issues which need to be addressed. Thank you very much, uh, Peter. And uh, I think uh, the role that you played in our society is really uh, commendable. Uh, I'm certain that there are some who do not understand uh, when we're talking about the Delmas Shore, uh, what was actually going on uh, during that period. Uh, you represented uh, Tinting Masango, Joseph Makura, Jabo Masina, and Neo Potsani. Uh, who were these people and then, uh, what actually happened during that trial? Um. Jabu Masina, Tinting Masangu, Neo Patane, and uh, Joseph Makura, uh, or Mareki Makura, um, were an, an ANC assassination squad that were put together by, uh, or recruited by Chris Hani, um, who at that time was the uh, the commander in Contiwisizwe. And they were sent into the, after extensive military training uh, in Angola and various other parts, some of them like Neo Patsani in, in East Germany and so on, um, they were put together as a, a squad to come into the country, which they did in 1986, to carry out certain acts of sabotage and to carry out certain assassinations of high-profile um, apartheid figures um, across the spectrum. And they, um, I mean, to cut a long story short, because... Um, they were very successful in what they did. Um, and I know success means different things to different people. Um, uh, then and, well, particularly then and, and now too, I suppose. Um, but eventually um, they were arrested. Um, they were detained for long periods of, uh, of detention. Um, they were very badly tortured, all four of them. And eventually they were brought to trial. And... Um, I was their attorney, um, and uh, Tabo Malewa um, was initially uh, working with me as a colleague, and we were all from Cheadle, Thompson, and Hurston. Um, and then he stepped aside to work on another big treason trial that the firm was working on, um, and uh, Peke Mlangeni uh, was my colleague uh, on that particular case. And, you know, we... we um, we represented them. I think the thing that distinguished the uh, the Dalmas Four as they became 
known was that, you know, unlike many accused, um, they did not plead guilty. They, um, they admitted that what they'd done, uh, and they said that what they'd done was in pursuance of their duties as soldiers of the African National Congress of Mkonto Recesa. Um, and so they said, look, you know, we've done these things. I mean, they had admitted in, in their confessions, but they said, you know, we were acting on instructions and Krasani was our commander. Um, but I think the, the other remarkable thing about these, I think, very heroic individuals um, was that they refused to participate in their own trial. So they said, we're soldiers, uh, we regard ourselves as prisoners of war, and we don't regard ourselves as criminals, and therefore we refuse to participate in this trial. Um, and so they refused to, to plead, they re refused to cross-examine witnesses, they refused legal representation, although we were allowed in the court as their lawyers and we were with them constantly, uh, but they, we were not, in a sense, on our feet in court. Um, and um, it was a very dramatic trial because, um, you know, they insisted on wearing in contributions with a uniform. Uh, and these were very serious soldiers um, at the time that they were sentenced. And the remarkable thing about it was, and again, this, uh, it's quite a long story, so I hope I'm not taking up too much of your time, um, is that the judge sat with two assessors. And the judge, you know, we essentially, um, we had uh, decided on the instructions of uh, Chris Hani and uh, uh, Tob and Becky at that time that they should lead um, evidence in mitigation um, of sentence. Um, because they were found guilty. Um, and in leading evidence and mitigation, we led a number of witnesses, um, and one of whom, in fact, was uh, Neo Patsani's father, who was a remarkable man, who, in fact, fought in the Second World War and had been taken prisoner and spent three years in a prisoner of war camp. And um, so it was very emotional. Um, and there were various witnesses that were led, uh, but only in mitigation, uh, because they'd already been found guilty. Um, and then it, when it came to the sentence, the judge, um, Marius de Klerk, no relation to de Klerk, the former president, um, said that he believed that they, in fact, were soldiers and were following orders. They should be regarded as prisoners of war, but he was outvoted by his two assessors. And as it turned out later, one of those two assessors who sat with the judge was in fact Eugene de Kock, who was the commander of the Fluck Plus uh, police assassination squad, was his father. Um, and anyway, the judge was outvoted, and so the four got sentenced to death. And um, Eventually, uh, on instructions from uh, Chris Hani and Tabo and Berkey, um, because they refused to appeal the death sentence. They said, we're not going to uh, appeal. We believe this is an apartheid court, and we're not going to give them that. We're not going to participate to that extent. Um, 
but they were instructed by Chris Heine um, to appeal, um, which they did, and we won the appeal, and they were given a, a life sentence. So um, they were extraordinary people, and it was an extraordinary time. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Peter, for putting that into context. We are going to take a, a short uh, break for commercial, and then we will then come back to that subject. You had mentioned uh, Becky Blangeni and uh, Lawrence Boyer, uh, who is uh, the chairperson of the Becky Blangeni uh, Foundation, will also want to make a comment. But uh, let's uh, go uh, to a commercial now. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez Omapete on SAFM. Thank you very much uh, once again. This is Tuesday Takeover Program. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Terry Zelani. And uh, our guest tonight is uh, Peter Harris, uh, who represented the Delmas 4 and also worked with uh, Bekim, the late Bekim Langen, who was assassinated uh, by the apartheid uh, uh, forces. And uh, on the line, I have uh, uh, his friend, uh, our uh, uh, former fellow student activist, uh, uh, Lawrence Boyer. Lawrence Boyer would like to say some few words about Bekim Langen. Lawrence, are you there? Hi, Terry, I'm here. Yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about Begim Langeni and what Begim Langeni stood for and uh, why was Begim Langeni so mercilessly assassinated? Uh, thank you uh, for the opportunity to be part of this program. Uh, firstly, let me uh, make a small correction. Um, I'm not the chairperson of the Begim Langeni Foundation. I'm actually the deputy. Uh, the chairperson is uh, uh, Comrade Amos Masondo, who is uh, in Parliament. Um, but uh, in his absence, I, I act in that capacity to direct the affairs of the the Begim Langeni Foundation. Begi and I come from the same township uh, of Jabulani. Um, uh, we met uh, later uh, uh, in our lives as students at university. I knew him before then um, as Mkedeza, uh, a soccer player in our township, a very famous uh, soccer player who was very, very good and skillful uh, as a defensive uh, player. Then we met uh, uh, in the student uh, struggles. Uh, initially, Peggy was at the uh, University of Forte, uh, and I had gone to University of Zululand uh, in 1983, and then after the Ngoye massacre in 1983, uh, I left uh, to come to Vets University, where we reunited um, with uh, another of his uh, friends and comrades, uh, Chris Ngobo, uh, and, and many other uh, uh, students uh, who had come from uh, what we used to refer to then as the Bush Colleges, um, the, the black uh, universities uh, 
some that were, in fact, most of them were were located uh, in the hinterlands of this country, um, far away from anything. The militancy that we had acquired, uh, having fought uh, repressive systems, homeland systems in the Siskai, Peggy uh, um, and Chris were part of uh, student struggles there at Forte, fighting the, the homeland system uh, in the Siskai. I was at the uh, University of Zuland fighting uh, another repressive system there. Um, and others came from... Uh, University of the North, uh, Teflop, we all coalesced at VETS and we brought that militancy that we, uh, we had acquired uh, from those universities and, uh, and made uh, un- uh, VETS and uh, other uh, liberal universities at the time to be uh, hotbeds of militant activities, student activities. We got involved in the student uh, mobilization uh, against apartheid, uh, the tricameral system, the declared bills, uh, uh, and, and, and many other apartheid uh, uh, oppressive uh, uh, legislation. Later on, um, uh, Beggy then graduated. Uh, he joined uh, the legal firm Chill Tomlinson and Hazen, um, and I went uh, in a different direction. But we still stayed in the same township. We got involved uh, in the formation of the the early ANC branch. Uh, And Jablani, we were part of that branch together. Uh, He became the first chairman of the ANC uh, in Jablani. I was uh, just an ordinary member uh, of, of the branch. Um, but I got involved in the civic uh, uh, organization, uh, the Soweto Civic Association, which was a very powerful uh, community-based uh, organization at the time. So we we kind of uh, complemented uh, our roles, him leading the ANC, and uh, I was leading uh, in the civic. Uh, of course, Beggar's work uh, took, took uh, him away, uh, in investigations around the death, the death squads, um, and it is that part of his work that eventually led to his demise. Uh, when uh, think of, think, uh, sorry, yeah, I was going to say, uh, 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 boy, I thank you very much uh, for uh, giving us that context. Uh, I think it's a very uh, important context. Um, I'm going to request. Uh, 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 Begisan Mandla, uh, who is online, to also say some few words. And I would like, uh, after that, uh, uh, the, uh, 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 our, our guest for tonight, uh, Peter Harris, just to uh, wrap up and tell us about, uh, you know, how uh, Begim Mlangeni uh, was assassinated. But I just want to get uh, Mandla Mlangeni's view in relation to his father, and uh, uh, the events uh, that led to his assassination. Mandla, are you online? Yes, I'm online. Thank you for having me, and um, hello to all the listeners out there. Um, Yes, uh, under normal circumstances, I'll be talking about my latest album releases (laughs) and my upcoming shows, but this one hits much more closer to home in the sense that 
we're talking about a person that I I called my father and um, had very little time to spend with him and was deprived of his presence um, due to the amount of work that he was doing and the sacrifices that he made to his commitment to the liberation of South Africa, as we know it. And and a couple of weeks I was taken quite aback by um, an allegation that surfaced on the Zondo Commission about the state um, um, releasing um, his um, killer on parole and him actually being funded. So, yeah, and actually understand about the parole, understand that he was working with the NPA in uncovering missing bodies. But um, there is still not clarity as to why um, he was given that amount of money and um, was just not present for his assignments after he was released. And, and and that for me actually was was more traumatizing in the sense that I live supposedly live in a free and democratic South Africa, but do not enjoy the fruits of of his sacrifices in many ways. Um, many of my family re- remain despondent at, at at the slow pace of change, and I yes, and uh, and, and every time I go online and I, and, and I speak about this, it's very hurting, and I and I sound like a broken record in that. Um, in many ways, I think there needs to be a fundamental change and a fundamental shift in how we we, we address the matter of, of reconciliation. And um, because reconciliation is not the same for everyone, it, it's and and moving on and making peace with your life um, with no sense of justice um, actually does more harm than good for the society. Thank you very much uh, uh, for for that, uh, uh, Mandla. Um, and I really feel uh, like many people who really lived with Peggy, uh, uh, we can understand exactly what you are going through as his son. And I just want to bring in, um, I would have loved to uh, have uh, the, the open line, uh, which is uh, 011482, one five one zero, um, but I want uh, 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 Peter uh, maybe allow you just uh, two minutes to wrap up and then basically give us a context of uh, how uh, Becky was uh, uh, assassinated uh, before I hand over to Senges. Uh, uh, two minutes, uh, Peter, just to to wrap up. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Um... And uh, just hi to uh, to Mandler, whom I must say, I just need to mention that he is um, South Africa's greatest trumpeter and uh, and composer. And if you haven't seen his uh, closing performance at the World Economic Forum, you need to see it. It's a great talent, and I, I just I'm devastated then and now at his at his loss. Uh, then and now, um, you know, Becky was. Uh, um, a, a remarkable man. He, he was special. He was clever. He was char- charismatic. Extraordinarily hard, hardworking. Um, he was cool. Um, he was totally committed, um, but yet very calm and understated. A, a very special person. And just to echo Manda, I, I, I think it's a disgrace if it's true that uh, De Kock, um is receiving any pension or any monies from the state whatsoever. And I, I would recommend it be given urgent attention and looked into and stopped. Um, just in terms of Becky's tragic death, um, we had been asked by the ANC to go up to Lusaka 
Zola Scudia, who's head of the ANC uh, legal team at that time, and Ben Maduna, who was his deputy. Um, and we liaised with uh, 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 Dirk Kutsia, um, who was the commander of the flight class assassination squad at that time. And uh, we took his statements and we liaised with him and at the Homs Commission of Inquiry, which in itself was a disgrace, um, as was Harams, uh, Judge Harams at that stage in Slivers, I believe. Um, frankly, we, um, we got to know Dirk and Eugene de Kock and his cohorts from Flatplas sent a parcel bomb to kill Dirk Kutsia and uh, they put the sender as Becky Mlangeni. Um, Dirk Kutsia, to cut a long story short, got it at Lusaka Post Office, thought it was a bomb, uh, and said, I'm not going to accept this. And so the postal clerk said, return to sender, and it found its way back to Cheadle Thompson and Hassan and was put in Becky's pigeonhole at the law firm. And some days later, he'd been studying for his board exams uh, to become an attorney. Uh, some days later, he um, took it home uh, with Sapati, um, his wife. Um, they went to watch a movie at the Colton Center, and then they went home to Jabalani. Um, and he uh, very tragically opened it and found a Walkman, which had explosives in the earphones, and he put the tape in and... Uh, pressed the play button and he was very tragically murdered. Um, I and a colleague got to Jabalani shortly thereafter and it was a, a terrible, terrible thing. A great loss, which was how Nelson Mandela, who spoke at uh, Beckham Mangini's funeral, described his death. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Peter, for uh, for that. And uh, I would encourage uh, those uh, who may not be familiar with the issues that we are talking about tonight to, place, to perhaps uh, get a book that you wrote uh, in a different time, and they will be able to get the context of the issues that we are uh, discussing uh, tonight. Unfortunately, we do not have enough time. We are now going to have to go through to the news and uh, uh, Songeso and I will uh, uh, deal with the issues. We would have loved to respond to all the uh, questions and comments that uh, people have made, but unfortunately we don't have uh, sufficient time. Now I'm going to hand over to uh, Nandika Bjorkas, who is going to now read the news for us. And then after that, I will join uh, Songeso again um, in the next session. Uh, as we wrap up. Thank you very much uh, to all the panelists and uh, to Mandla, to Lawrence uh, and to you, Peter. Thank you so much.